Welcome back to Campaign War Stories. I am Wesley Donahue. This is the podcast where we talk to politicos about their favorite campaign stories. And today I'm joined by Patrick Stewart of Red Oak Strategic. Patrick is the chief revenue officer, which means basically he's responsible for business development and making sure that money comes in, which is something that we don't often talk about in politics, but we all know revenue solves all problems, so nothing is more important than sales. Listen up. How's it going today, man? Good, Wesley. Appreciate you having me on. How you doing? Good. Every time your name pops up on my calendar, I get excited thinking I'm going to talk to Patrick Stewart from Star Trek, though. I'm Unfortunately, I have uh, I have more hair. So yeah, I'm I'm probably the biggest Trekkie you'll ever talk to, and I'm sure you get asked about Patrick Stewart all the time. But like, I'm as big a fan as you can get. It's funny, uh, you know, people date themselves. Uh, if you go Star Trek, it's generally uh, a little bit, you know, the the pre millennials there. Uh, after that, it's the X Men. Uh, I get Professor X. Oh, that's. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of both. So I'm a yep. just a massive fan of his. Um, so man, what have you been up to these days? Yeah, so uh, working with Red Oak Strategic, I believe you had Mark Stevenson on a few months ago. Uh, I did founder of Red Oak Strategic. Uh, yeah. I'm you know CRO for them, working on sales and uh, yeah, doing the data game. What does CRO mean? Chief Revenue Officer. Okay, tell me tell me a little bit about that for folks that don't understand that. Sure. Uh, so I'm just responsible for our business development efforts, marketing, sales, uh, basically bringing the money in the door. High and- pressure, if you will. Shit. I mean, I'm the, I don't, what's my, I, I, I guess my official title CEO, but I always sound kind of douchey saying that. So I always just say like founding partner. Yep. But that's fair. But, but that's my job too. It, I mean, I am basically the CRO. It's my job to bring in, bring in the money. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I work, I work with Mark, uh, constantly, uh, we're, we're always, uh, selling together. Uh, I think as a CEO, you kind of wear every hat. Um, luckily I get to focus primarily on the sales, uh, albeit we're a small team. So we all pitch in, I think, uh, you know, a lot of firms in our, in our industry can kind of, uh, appreciate that. And, um, you know, coming back from a political background, I think everybody's used to, to pitching in all hands on deck for any job that needs to get done. So can can we dive into this a little bit about sales? Because this is probably the question I get asked the most about business, but people don't focus on it enough. Politics is weird because I find it's all about relationships and that your record and winning doesn't matter. Like the work you do, and maybe you have a dis- different philosophy, but here's my philosophy. And it and I hate this because I hate that it works like this. Because I think mm-hmm. winning and I think your work and the creative you do should be above all else. Like winning in politics should be the thing that matters. But really in politics, nothing really matters more than personal relationships. And you can lose all day long, but if you have those relationships, then you bring in more business. I couldn't agree more. Uh, It's probably the most frustrating thing about the business, the industry in itself. Um, You know, we're, we're measured on our relationships, who we know, not the product of our work. Um, And I get really, really frustrated with that uh, quite a bit. Um, I think we've got some of the most innovative products out there, at least in the data space and the political industry. Um, and a lot of times, you know, because we're a smaller firm, we don't have those relationships. Uh, we get overlooked and it, it, it is, uh, it's incredibly frustrating. But it's not only frustrating for me personally, but when I look at the industry or I look at the party and people ask like, why is the Republican party losing? And part of it is because 
the cream isn't naturally rising to the top. Like nobody's yep. ever called me and said, Oh, I saw you won this race. And I, I love the commercial you did. I love that creative. I want you to come and do mine. That's never, I mean, that might've happened like once or twice. I, I shouldn't say never, but it's like very, very, very rare. And as a result, it's the same old people that have been around a long time with the deep relationships that seem to always control the committees and control the big campaigns and, and all the things. Yep. Agree. And, and I think it also stifles innovation a little bit. Uh, you get, you know, a lot of times you'll get uh, a one firm, they'll do something, you'll know, have a big win. You get, you hear them get talked about for a cycle, maybe two. Uh, and then it's just the same thing over and over again. It's rinse and repeat. Uh, whereas, you know, I think especially with the way things are, uh, the industry is turning now with the way campaigns are turning now. Um, I think that we get stuck, um, quite often doing the same thing over and over again. And then it results and starts resulting in losses and, you know, people aren't encouraged to innovate because they've got a contract regardless. Um, and they're not looking back and saying, okay, you know, we, we, we tend to do these after action reports a lot of times. Mm. I think, you know, as well as I do, they're, they're largely, uh, for show. Um, there's no, yep. u- there's usually no substance that comes out of them to say, Hey, we should actually do, you know, this, this piece different or that piece different. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that, I think it stifles innovation and it's not allowing us to move forward as a party um as quickly as we should be and especially in a, in a in a world now that's driven by technology and i mean we're changing on a yeah. daily basis hell uh you know news stories now happen you know we've i think we've moved on from the 24-hour news cycle and it's now a, a, a six or 12-hour news cycle and you can be replaced yeah. in, a, in an instant um and we should be able to to respond to those things but we can't because again we're stuck in the in the way of the old way of doing things so and it yeah man you're you're speaking my language as a as a digital guy right and I've been preaching this for so long and what happens is it's those same people that have been around that kind of a, those establishment folks that have always fought the innovation because they don't want to change they don't want to their their business model is based off the old way of doing things so when we come in us young bucks come in uh, even when digital first started becoming a thing a, over a little over a decade ago these guys oh digital's a fad. Digital will never be a thing. It's always going to be TV. People will always consume more TV than they consume digital. I'm like, well, look, it might not happen today. It might not happen in the next cycle or even the next cycle. But a decade from now, people are going to be consuming the majority of their media on digital platforms. And now you see that's exactly where we are. But even though they were wrong, it's still those same you know, establishment people that are not only controlling everything, but still fighting us. Yep. Yep. And, uh, I think it's very similar in, in, in the data game, you know, uh, there's still those out there that are talking about, Oh, you know, uh, modeling and, and addressable audiences, you know, we don't need that. We've got the old way of doing things. Why would I spend, you know, it's an expensive product. Why would I spend money on it? And it's like, well, it's, it's, it makes you much more efficient and this is how they're doing it in, in commercial, mm-hmm. uh, operations, you know, in, in, in the corporate world, that's how, that's how they're doing marketing. And they've been doing that for, for years and years now. Um, we're just taking it to the next level on, on the political side. You should be adopting this. Embrace it and try something new. Um, and granted, I think a lot of that too falls back on we're not a I'm gonna say that we're not a for-profit industry. You know, campaign mm-hmm. is not there to make money, they're to, they're there to to sell a candidate. Um, and so I think that a lot of times, you know, the the, the establishment types or the the old old uh, older old timers, I'll call them, uh, the way they think, um, 
they're trying to, to you know preserve their their candidates cash and be smart with their money and and i get it they've got tried and true methods um but that's not the world we live in anymore you know no. we, we live in a world where uh innovation happens in the blink of an eye um you know people are changing their consumption habits they're changing the way they operate they live uh on a daily basis now um it's no longer uh the the norms that we're so used to and uh you know we've got to to innovate and and, and address that yeah. So here's my kind of thought on this. And I'll get away from the business development thing now, although I'm going to DC in two and a half hours, I'm catching a flight just for business <laughs> development purposes. And I'd much rather be sitting behind my desk writing creative, but that's how you bring in the money. But to your point about the differences between corporations and the political world, the real difference is they can innovate because they've got a long-term roadmap and they might have quarters that they got to report profits. But for us, business is op- over in two years, right? Meaning the campaign's over or the committee leadership is over and there's no long-term thinking about investment because everybody's just looking at the election and nobody really gives a shit what happens the day after the election. So what we have to do in this ecosystem and why it's so important to have you know, a Red Oak or a Push Digital is somehow it's the companies in this ecosystem that has to carry on the innovation from election cycle to election cycle, even though the pots of money changes hands and the leadership changes hands. It's really us that's got to be that sustainable long-term uh, thinking players in, in, in this game, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, you know, At Red Oak, um, we're an Amazon Web Services partner. Um, meaning we're approved by Amazon Web Services to uh, and certified by them to build solutions on their platform. Um, and we made a conscious decision uh, about five years ago to pivot towards uh, towards building that partnership and building the commercial work that we do, the corporate work that we do. Um, reason being is we realized, and we have been an AWS uh, user since the founding of the company in, in 2012, um, and the reason we pivoted over that is because we realized that we were learning a ton of, of, of valuable knowledge in our corporate work that we've now taken and applied to our work in, in the political arena. Yeah. And the, the, the benefit to that is, you know, we have longer runways, uh, with the corporate clients. We don't, we have movable deadlines. We don't like to move deadlines, but we can move them. Um, it's funny too. I've, I've, uh, I've been working on a couple of projects, uh, with the AWS team that are in the, in the political, uh, arena. And I've, uh, I've had to tell them, you know, guys, we have a deadline. It's election day and we cannot move that. And it makes them panic. They want to have. <laughs> sure. They want to have three weekly meetings, you know, in-person meetings every month to make sure we're on track. And it's so funny because they they cannot, it's hard for them to understand how we squeeze so much into such a short window. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you're right. That's a huge limitation to us. And I don't disagree. I, I think it's it's partly the consultants. And I think that's why we are valuable is there's institutional knowledge that's carried on. Um between you know between cycles with these companies um and i think too you know our committees um are are there to do that i think one thing that that's very frustrating with for me i think is that the committees they turn over almost every cycle that's my point yeah and um and you know you lose again it's institutional knowledge that you lose um and that knowledge is what you you build the innovation on top of because you learn lessons and you're not able to take that um, from cycle to cycle, because you know you've got you got people moving in and out between staffs to different yeah. consulting companies, whatnot. 
Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's a huge challenge for us. Um, albeit, I will say, uh, I think, you know, a couple of the committees, I'll, I'll give a shout out to the RNC here. Um, you know, they've held, they've held onto their teams, uh, a lot longer and, and for multiple cycles now. Um, and I think that's doing a, you know, a world of good over there. Good. Good. Um, did you get moved into y'all's new offices yet? Uh, we did. We just uh, we just opened them here. We got the certificate of our occupancy. I think two or three weeks ago now. So uh, we've got our furniture. We've got uh, we need some things on the wall, some decorations. But uh, other than that, yeah, it's it's awesome. Golf simulator set up, so we have to have you down. Nice. Yeah, I saw where it was going to go, so I went through there as it was under construction, and it was given the tour, and it looked like it was going to be beautiful. So I got to come by and oh, see it's, it. While it's I'll be up there today and tomorrow, maybe I should swing by and check it out. Give Mark a shout. Uh, I give you a tour myself. I'm uh, I'm actually in Florida at the moment, but I uh, would love to, to love to have you by. Oh, I'll do that. How how long have you been in politics? Um, so I started really with an internship. Uh, I think it was my sophomore year of college in 2008. Um, but uh, I'd say I'd say about 13 years now. My first job out of college was in 2010 in uh, in Iowa. How'd you get into politics? My grandfather um, worked with a, a, an old North Carolina congressman. I'm from North Carolina originally, okay. uh, named Howard Coble on uh, on copyright law, actually. And uh, he got me an internship, and um, I did that for a month in college. And then uh, from that, I got a, an internship following the following year at the RNC. Um, back when uh, Gentry Collins was was political director, I worked in the political department there, and nice. um, it grew from there. Nice, man. So during this time, do you have a favorite war story that you like to tell people? Any crazy experiences? Um, you know, I, well, as I said, my first uh, my first job out of college was um, was in Iowa. I worked for the Iowa the Victory Campaign back then, yeah. um, and then transitioned over to the uh, the state party there. Uh, worked for a great guy named Chad Olson. He's still uh, acting as the as the executive director out there now. Um, but in 2012, I got to actually build the um, the voting system for the Iowa caucus. Um, right. And as a, I guess I was what, 23-ish uh, year old, 24-year-old, uh, fresh out of college, um, I kind of got thrown into the deep end of the pool and, and told to swim. Um, and I, I, I somehow built an Excel-based, uh, it was actually a Google Sheets-based reporting system. Um, that was what was driving all of the, uh, the, the, the news reports. Um, it's what was feeding to the campaigns. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, it was kind of a wild experience. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And, uh, at one point I do remember in the middle of the night, I had to, uh, refresh this sheet, which caused everything to blank out. All the campaigns oh, lost shit. their report for a minute. Um, all of the news organizations lost their report for a minute. And uh, luckily I, I got it refreshed. It came back up, but I think, uh, I think Chad wanted to strangle me at that point. Um, That's a lot of pressure you, to put on a 23 year old. It was, it was an immense amount of pressure that I was completely unprepared for. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think it really, there, there were a couple of things that I learned from that experience. One leading up to that and, and building that system. Uh, under that much pressure and realizing that the world was literally watching. I mean, we had news organizations from Japan, Sweden, Russia. I mean, they were all in Des Moines on, uh, on caucus night and realizing that I was producing 
the the numbers that were going out um, was it, it taught me to work under pressure. But more importantly, I think was the training that went into um, went into the building the caucus out. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but the Iowa caucus is run by the Republican Party of Iowa. It's not. There's no funding from the state. There is no. Um, there are no input from the Secretary of State's office. There's no board of elections involvement whatsoever. There's no voting machines, nothing. It's all from, built from the ground up. And there's something like 1,734 precincts, if I remember off the top of my head correctly, uh, in Iowa. There's 99 counties, 1,700 precincts. And uh, we had to get a, a precinct captain, precinct recorder for every single one of those precincts in the months leading up to the caucus. We had to train them. We had to show them how to use the app that we were using at the time uh, to enter their votes that they then got reported to state party headquarters, to our war room, where I then had to review and report them. Um, and so we had to work with each one of our county party chairs and even in counties where that didn't have a, a county party chair, we had to find someone that was willing to take the, the lead there and, and, and be the, uh, the body on the ground to make sure that we had, you know, a caucus site that people knew where to go that people, someone was there to direct the caucus, that someone was there to record the votes, um, everything. And for that, for, for me, I think that was pivotal in my, up, you know, me coming up in politics because I learned just how, you know, you always hear pol all politics is local. Yeah. But truly, it, it showed me what really should go into, uh, and, and, because, and not that this was a campaign necessarily, but it showed me that you had to have the organizational effort to get down all the way to the precinct level, get people involved, convince them that this is important and that they should be, uh, you know, should care about it and, and participate in it. And from then on, I, I kind of, I changed my, my thought process on, it's not a top down, you know, cam campaigning is not top down. It's all yeah. grassroots up. And I think that's been a, a theme, um, you know, in my, in my career. And the inter interesting thing is, you know, I think especially in the the data world, we've gone from, you know, at, when when George Bush ran in, in 2000 and you had Karl Rove architecting his campaign and introduced micro-targeting, even then you were kind of looking at, at swaths of voters. Yeah. You know, you, you had different audiences. Uh, and the interesting thing is now we've gotten so advanced in our modeling and our data capabilities that we are looking at the individual. We're looking at what makes each individual person tick in terms of their political opinions. We know at a granular level, on the individual level, what issues you care about, what issues are going to make you go to the poll, which ones you know you're going to have a reaction to. Um, and it's just funny to me to see how I've gone from this. Oh, to run a campaign, we just need to convince as many people as we, as we can to vote for our candidates. To no, we got to go talk to each individual, and we've got to talk to yeah. them at their level, not at a, some big overarching theme. Uh, it's what do we, what does each individual care about? What's going to make them go and volunteer, um, for their campaign? What's going to make them volunteer to join the, the, the caucus, uh, administration? Um, and so I think, you know, from end to end from my, my career, it's all been based around the individual and it's great to see where, how far we've come in terms of our ability as, um, as campaigners, to, to go out and actually, to, you know, really start to talk to individuals at their level instead of just these broad based, you know, mail campaigns or messaging that's that's centered on big swaths of audiences.
Yeah, no, I agree with you. There's something I've been obsessed with for quite a while that I've never talked about on this podcast or any podcast before. But my vision of the future has always been based on the book and the movie Minority Report. If you yep. if you've seen it with Tom Cruise and there's oh, I this, I, I'm still waiting on my clear screens. Yeah, well, there's this. <laughs> yeah, right there. There's this. There's this part in the movie where, um, he goes through a shopping center, a mall, or something. I and, know exactly what you're talking about. And the ad, the sign reads his eyes, and then changes to an ad for him. Name's John Anderton, and then he's walking through, and it's John Anderton. This John Anderton. That last time you're in here, you bought this. You need this again, John Anderton. And that's to your point about marketing getting down to the individual. Because we're still to this day, you know, we'll work with a data company. Y'all send us uh, a voter file of talk to these thousands of voters all this way. But we are heading to a point to where you're saying that we will be able to market to the individual, whether that's through AI or some sort of creative. That's the direction I've always thought we were heading. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Um, You know, we are getting to the point now where our, our audiences are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. That's not to say we're talking to fewer people. We're still talking yeah. to just as many people, but we're tailoring the messaging to them based on what we know about them and their issues. Now, I think uh, from a political campaign level, you know, it's not going to be quite as individualized as minority report, but I certainly think that because you're going to have people that care about the same issue. So I can yeah. tell you, you go talk to these 2000 people about this issue. Yeah. And it, it's gonna it's gonna resonate with all of them, um, but we are, I think, especially with generative AI. You know, we're doing some work around generative AI and, and how we might be able to implement it in campaigns. But um, we're going to be able to do some pretty amazing things in terms of determining what people care about and then tailoring that message to them. Well, the limiting factor is really not in the data. The limiting factor is on the creative side and the deliver and the the, the delivery mechanism. I guess. Yeah. I mean, if I had, the, I mean, you could probably give me the data points and the messaging for for me for every single individual. It's just I can't go out and create advertising for all those. So you've got to have some sort of AI to create that for the individual, which is what happened in Minority Report. But the data itself isn't far off, right? No, we're there. Um, we can tell you. Um, I can probably tell you ten different topics. I could talk to you about. Um, that would, that would make you, you know, more prone to vote for, for a candidate or, or give, at least get some reaction from you. And you're right. That is the limiting factor. You know, our mail companies can only create so many pieces. Our digital firms can only create so many ads. Uh, they're going to re- be responsive, but I think that's the great thing about generative AI. And, you know, you keep hearing talk about, oh, this is going to automate so many people away. You know, we're going to kill jobs, blah, blah, blah. The best, the best, mm. uh, comparison I've heard from that is, you know, the advent of electricity at the turn of the century, people were scared of it. They thought it was going to kill jobs, but it didn't. It made people more efficient at their jobs. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it created a ton of more jobs and it allowed people to be more productive. That's what generative AI is going to do for us. So your team at Push is going to be able to, instead of create, I don't know, five, 10 ads a day, now you're going to be creating 20, 30, 40 ads yeah. a day because you're able to automate that away, the creative piece of it. And so, yeah, if I can create, if you got one team member creating 40 pieces of uh, content a day, well, there's your messaging right there on an individual level. I can get 48 messages out there on a single day. Great. No, I agree. I mean, I'm trying to get our team to implement it more. You know, there's always this pushback from the clients, but I got to tell you, ChatGPT is up on my screen at all times, at all times. Oh, yeah. And I've got this personal problem where I'm a little too blunt and honest and people think I'm a dick in writing. And in person, 
they don't think I'm that big of an asshole. But in writing, for some reason, I come across as an asshole. So I've got this channel called Don't Be a Dick is the name of it. And I've told it the tone I want it to write. So every time I type up an email, I then put it in the chat GPT and tell it to give me a new one. And then I send that to my staff. Every request that's I make, incredible. that's what I do now. That's my don't. <laughs> yeah. It helps you not be an asshole. I, I appreciate that. Uh, no, I'm the same way. I have it uh, have it up. I usually, um, I, for a lot of my ad content for, for the business development purposes, uh, I'm having it write ads for me. I'm having it write content that I put into white papers and you know solutions briefs because uh, I tend to be um, very overly detailed uh, in my descriptions. Yeah. And so I, I ask it to, to, to condense those for me. Uh, um, it's, a, it's an incredible tool. I'm the opposite because I give no details. They think I'm an asshole. Oh <laughs> <laughs> man, no, this is this has been great. Uh next time I'm in DC, I'll I'll not next time, I'll be up there in a couple hours, but the next time I'll stop by and, and see you guys. You're based in DC, right? Uh I am personally based out of Nashville now. Uh, oh, okay. my wife got uh, got us out of the city. But yes, uh Red Oak is based uh right off of Highway One, yeah. um just south of Reagan National. Um most of our team is there and uh, I'm back and forth quite a bit, so we'd love to have you in. All right, brother. Well, look, man, I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Campaign War Stories. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get new episodes sent straight to your inbox by subscribing at wesleydonahue.com. I hope you have a phenomenal day full of positive vibes.